Today we come to Acts chapter 26. Here Paul lays out in full his defense to King Agrippa as he waits to be sent to Rome to appeal before Caesar. And by the way, Caesar was not necessarily the name, but a title. And like I said earlier, the, in an earlier chapter, the, the, the man who was Caesar or king in those days was Nero. Uh, the book of Acts will not record for us the account of his defense to Nero, though we will read that he makes it um, through many dangerous toils and snares, I might add, to Rome. But here in Acts chapter 26, Paul stands before Agrippa and gives a thoroughly Christ-centered defense of his life and his actions. So here we see the Lord making good on his promise that Paul would stand before kings and bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's consider just a few noteworthy thoughts here. I love what Paul says early on in his defense. Uh, he began by describing to Agrippa and reminding the Jews of the manner of life that he lived before coming to faith in Christ. He reminded them that he had been a Pharisee, as he puts it in verse 5, the strictest party of our religion, he said. And as he made a transition to his conversion experience, he wanted them, he wanted to make clear that what he was about to say was actually not in any way opposed to the teachings of Judaism. Jesus, as he would say later, simply fulfills, he says in verse 22, he said, Jesus fulfills quote, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Among those things is a belief in the resurrection. The Jews clearly did not believe uh, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul asked the question in verse 8, why is it incredible by any of you, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Moses and the prophets had always taught a resurrection. And so it is not, a, it, it, it is not far-fetched to believe that Jesus was the Messiah who was promised to come and had been raised from the dead also as promised. But I love the question. It's worth considering for a minute. Again, Paul asked in verse 8, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? It's a great question. I would take this question and turn it a different way just slightly to you. If you're a Christian, meaning that among other things you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, why do you find it so hard to believe that God will do so many other things on your behalf as his child? I have to ask myself this question often. I, as a Christian, say I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead from, for my salvation. The Bible declares it. I believe it. But even believing that incredible truth, why is it that I so often find it difficult that God will faithfully work on my behalf for my good in much less incredible ways. That's the point that Paul makes in Romans 8.32 when he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not? <laughs> That's the question. How will he not? He already demonstrated his gracious willingness uh, to perform the most unthinkable and unimaginable act of love and provision for our eternal needs. Why do we doubt that he will, with the same gracious willingness and powerful ability, perform the same acts of love and provision for our daily needs? It's irrational and often it's sinful. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, thus saith the Lord. Well, let's think secondly about Jesus and the church, his body. 
as Paul recounts his conversion on the road to Damascus, it's interesting to be reminded of what the Lord Jesus said to Paul as he sat blinded by the heavenly light. Paul had been describing how he had been persecuting many of the saints, verse 10, and had punished them uh, often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, verse 11. He had been describing in detail his relentless persecution of the church until a blinding light stopped him on the road to Damascus. Interestingly, the Lord spoke to him audibly from heaven and asked him, why are you persecuting me? Verse 14. And in case he needed that fact reinforced, the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So you get where I'm going here? Paul was persecuting the church, and Jesus told Paul that he was persecuting him. We remember that Scripture calls the church the body of Christ. Romans 12, 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Ephesians 5, 29 and 30, Colossians 1, 18, Colossians 3, 15. I mean, just over and over again. So then whatever one does to the church, one does to Christ himself. If we are faithful to the church, we are faithful to Christ. We're unfaithful to the church, we're unfaithful to Christ. And it works the other way also. If we love Christ, we will love the church. How can we love Christ and hate his body? These are things that we're thinking about. Let's think finally about real repentance and how it is a visible and verifiable change. Later uh, in his defense before Agrippa, Paul makes a statement that echoes the words of John the Baptist back in Matthew 3, 8. Paul tells Agrippa that he preached uh, that Jews and Gentiles alike, Acts 26, 20, quote, should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. John the Baptist spoke almost identical words uh, back in Matthew 3. If we think about it, it teaches and reminds us of an important truth about real repentance. It is visible and verifiable change. Repentance is not a, a, a one-time thing. It's not just a verbal profession. It is an ongoing, visible, verifiable change of life. How, if not, how can we make sense of performing deeds in keeping with repentance. And this is what the great reformer Martin Luther was declaring when he said in 1517 in his first, in number one, the first of his 95 theses, quote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance, end quote. Repentance for the Christian is an every day and every moment posture of the heart and mind toward the Lord. We are to live every moment in repentance from our old life to our new life in Christ. And one who is uh, truly doing that will inevitably produce visible and verifiable change in their life and action. And those are some thoughts from Acts chapter 26.